Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Off the Beaten Track, a podcast that highlights local racetracks, drivers, owners, and more. To join the show live, call 646-668-8461. That's 646-668-8461. And now, here's your host, they call him the NASCAR guy, Nate Webster. Welcome into this episode of Off the Beaten Track. Uh, my guest tonight is from Race Day, Connecticut. He owns and operates the um, race news magazine ever since 1992, I believe. His name is Sean Chesney. Yep. Welcome to Off the Beaten Track, Sean. Welcome. Thank you. Um, it's uh, actually since 2012 I started the website. Um, oh, okay. So I've covered I've covered racing uh, since about 1995. Um, I was a sports writer at the Hartford Current for 19 years, and I covered racing there full time from 1995 until 2012. Um, I left the paper in 2012 to start the website. So. And Race Day CT has been up and running since June of 2012. Now, I refer to it as Race Day Connecticut, but is that is not, not correct as Race Day CT? Well, I mean, either way is fine. Um, and actually, I guess if you type in Race Day Connecticut in, in, as your URL, that'll, that'll get you there. But I, I typically refer to it as Race Day CT. Okay, so I will do the same. Uh, what made you decide to leave the hardware current after 18 and a half years and uh, take up um, this endeavor of starting your own website? Well, it's, uh, there was a there was a, a lot of factors involved. Um, I uh, like I said, I was there for 19 years, and obviously racing wasn't the only thing I did. It, it was uh, just one of a number of things I did there over the years. Um, I was. Uh, at times, you know, I was uh, the, the second man on all of our NFL beats for a number of years. I covered the New York Jets for a couple of years. Uh, I was the UConn football beat reporter for quite a few years. Um, I did, uh, I you know, I was a general assignment feature writer um, for most of my time there. So I did a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I don't think there's there's a high school sport that I haven't covered and Actually, I sat down one day and just made a list of all the sports I covered over the years. It, it was it kind of shocked me even. But um, through it all, racing was always one thing that stood out for me. I had actually, I didn't grow up around racing. I, I grew up near short track racing, actually. I grew up in Agawam, Mass, about a mile from Riverside Park Speedway from when I was 8 till I was 16 years old, and I never went to the racetrack. And when I was 16, my parents moved to Stafford, Connecticut, and I lived about five miles from the racetrack and never went to the racetrack. And it wasn't something that was in my family or something that I was even interested in. And then when I went to work at the Hartford Current, um, there was a, a Friday night when their regular the regular racing writer couldn't make it. And last minute, they knew I lived in Stafford, and they asked me to cover that night. And it's... Uh, 
I kind of fell in love with covering the sport, and that was that was it. It took off from there. So I covered racing, like I said, there from 1995 on. And then, you know, as the Internet took off, the Hartford Current started doing blogs. And it was, uh, I think it was 2005, the Current did their first blog. And it was Colin McEnroe, who was kind of a feisty news columnist there. And, uh, yeah. you know, they added a couple other blogs to the lineup. And at, I was covering the UConn football team at that point, and they asked me to do a blog covering UConn football. So that kind of got me into just writing the blogs, which, you know, was just an offshoot of what we were doing with our regular newspaper coverage. And, uh, and, and I, really, I really was interested in that, um, just the, the, the blog factor of what we were doing to supplement our, our newspaper coverage. Obviously, I was still covering racing while I was covering football, and I wanted to do a racing blog. I went to our web editors then at the current and said I wanted to do a racing blog and they kind of laughed about it and said, you know, we're not we're not going to get any hits on that. And at that point blogs were really new in the newspaper industry and we were actually paying an outside an outside provider to to handle our blogs. And so every blog that they started, they were having to pay for it to be supported and they they weren't interested in that point and I I, I was really good friends with our web editor and I went to him and I said, "Listen, just Give me give me two months to do a racing blog and see what we can do. And right. within two months, the numbers were massive. And within six months, I had topped out Colin McEnroe and was getting the biggest blog numbers at the paper. And, um, and it, it was noticed throughout the paper, and they really enjoyed it to the point where by, you know, 2007, 2008, in that range, they were – I think at that point we had about 20 blogs, and they were selling – they were selling the advertising for those blogs as a package. And then they were separating my blog out and selling it individually. And that kind of got in my head, this idea that, wait, if they can take what I'm doing at the current and sell it individually to advertisers, you know, I, I suddenly had this kind of pipe dream in my head. Well, then why can't I walk away from here and sell it on my own? Um, And it just kind of festered there for a while. And at the same time in that range, that 2008, 2009 range, the newspaper industry was just struggling in so many ways. The business model was just falling apart, and the Hartford Current was struggling even more. They were, you know, we were floundering in bankruptcy and struggling all around. Our staff was being slashed continually, and um, right. and everybody, everybody in our department was afraid, you know, am I the next one to go? And I, and I never felt that way, but I had this idea that, hey, if the time is right, you know, I have this to fall back on. And then um, in in uh, in April of 2012, they announced a buyout package, and it was a it, it was a pretty good buyout package. And suddenly, I got to thinking, well, you know, this is the timing of it just seemed almost fateful in that racing season locally was starting. And I looked at it like if I walked away right now, I could start this website and and essentially get paid through racing season through the buyout and not have to worry about revenue the first year and just kind of get this thing off the ground while I'm still collecting on a buyout. And I, uh, I, I applied for the buyout and, uh, and, and got it and the, the rest is history. So I just, it was a, it was a huge leap of faith. I have I have no business background. I like I said I was I was 21 years old when I started at the Hartford Current, and 
and uh, and and never worked for another newspaper, never did another job, and you know I suddenly walked away and said, okay, now I'm going from being a reporter to um, being everything, an accountant. You know, I, I I started from the ground up. I designed the website. I, I learned the basics of, of of web design and and you know the hosting stuff and. So and that's basically it. I mean that that's that's the long story of how it started and and how how it how I got to where I am. Yeah, that is the long and the short of it apparently. Um so do you think that part of the reason why you were so successful in starting this website um was because of the failing newspaper industry and because of the fact that you weren't sure if you were going to be next on the chopping block. Well, yeah, I mean, and quite honestly, you know, I, I had this feeling in my head that, you know, at that point anybody could be next. Um, I, I, at my age, I, I think I was young enough that I was safe, but it was more or less this idea that, you know, I I was 12 years old when I realized I wanted to be a, a sports reporter. And yeah. so I, I got to – I, I went out, I did it. I got to live that dream for 19 years. And it really was. I mean, for 19 years, I didn't feel like I had a job. And it, and it was a job, trust me. I mean, we, I, there was times, you know, when I was working 80 hours a week regularly, yeah. you know, um, and doing way too many beats than I should have been. But it was still, I was a sports writer, and I was living the dream that I, I always wanted to do. But at the same time, the reality check was seeing that the newspaper industry was struggling and at, you know, I was my early forties. I, I, you know, I was 39 years old at that point, And I'm thinking, am I going to, am I going to be able to retire from this industry or do I have to find my next step? So there was a lot of factors that went into it. And the other factor that, that went into it, the decision to walk away was that, um, you know, I knew that the newspapers, especially in Connecticut, where there's a very vibrant short track, um, fan base still the newspapers right. in Connecticut were essentially ignoring it. And so I saw the opportunity that, you know, I could walk away from the Hartford current and immediately make myself the source for racing news in the state. So obviously with my background too, it wasn't like I was starting up a website and nobody knew who I was. So everybody right. in racing essentially knew my background, knew what the product was going to be. So that that definitely made it a the decision a lot easier. I mean, like I said, I took a leap of faith, but there was I, I had a lot of pedestals that I was standing on that I was comfortable in knowing that, you know, I, I, I'm I'm going to be ahead of the game even before I, you know, the day I launch it, I knew I was going to be ahead of the game, and and that's still in a lot of ways. I, I contract out now to the Hartford Current and and offer racing coverage to them, and um, yep. besides the Hartford Current. And the Norwich Bulletin, there are really no other papers in the state that cover short track racing with any regularity. So, you know, it is nice that I have the market cornered um, in Connecticut. And, and yeah. you know, in some ways, you know, I have a lot of New England covered. So that helps a lot. All right. And let's talk about the tracks that you guys cover. Um, Stafford Speedway, Thompson Speedway. New London Waterford Speedway, Limark Park, and even New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I try. I, the 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 four you mentioned there, 
Lime Rock, you know, I, I have a hard time a lot of times getting out to events there at this point because the the overlapping with the short tracks in Connecticut. And really, the, the short tracks are the focus of, of what I'm doing with my website. And so, you know, we have those three um, Connecticut short tracks that, like I said, they all three are still, um, you know, the short track industry has – um, has suffered over the last 15 years in attendance and, and participation, but at the same time, and, and Connecticut tracks have suffered in the same way that all tracks have across the country, but at the same time, the Connecticut tracks are really doing a lot better than most areas in the country as far as short track participation and, and fan interest. So even though attendance is you could visibly down at all three short tracks in Connecticut, it's still very good in comparison to a lot of places across the country. And we're very spoiled in Connecticut in that we have three short tracks that are really um, fantastically managed, fantastically run, are well put together, are not falling apart, are not these kind of, you know, um, 80s kind of dust bowls that are falling apart. They're, they're three really great tracks. So it makes my job a lot easier and they're professionally run, which also makes my job a lot easier. So I have a blast covering the three tracks in Connecticut and it helps obviously that I have, you know, almost 25 years of history at all three of those tracks and covering them. So I know pretty well what's going on at those places. So, and, uh, and we have three tracks that have three very distinct personalities and how they operate and what goes on. And, and so that, that makes it, that makes it fun too. And that, you know, I go to three places every week that it, they're, they're three very distinct and, and unique places to go. And which one, of the, which one of those tracks would you say are your favorite to cover out of those three? You know, honestly, I, I know I'm going to sound like I'm trying to not be biased, but, uh, you know, objectively, I'm not going to say I have a favorite. I have things I love about all three tracks. You know, um, Stafford, yep. I, I often tell people – Stafford Speedway is a lot like going to a minor league baseball game in that you're going to get, when you go there with your family, you're going to get a lot more than just racing. There, it's, the, the entire package is the show. So that you're going to be entertained in a lot of ways beyond just the racing. And that's been like that. That, that was a goal of theirs for a long time. Thompson Speedway, really what I've always said about Thompson is, you, you get racing and you get – it almost feels like it, it goes back to what it was in the 60s and 70s, that you go there and you get racing. And that product is perfect in what they do and how they present it. And the place is clean and well-managed and beautiful and obviously even more beautiful now in that they've added the road course um, and, and, and the facilities that have gone along with that road course. But, you know, it, you get racing when you go to Thompson, and it's good racing. And then – you go to Waterford, and maybe this has gone away a little bit in the last five to eight years, but Waterford to me has always like felt like it was the Wild West. It was more or less what the, the craziness that was short track racing in the 60s and 70s, that you still get a taste of it there. It's still more yep. the, the down and dirty, gritty, um, you know, you're probably going to see a fight in the pits every Saturday night there, and you might see one in the grandstands too, so... Um, it, it still yeah. has that feel, and that and and that's not to knock the place because I think it's actually a 
it's a valuable thing that they have. It's something that keeps people going back there. So, you know, they're, they're all very unique and interesting in what they have, you know, and then obviously we have New Hampshire motor speedway two hours up the road. Um, I've, I've covered every, every NASCAR weekend at, at New Hampshire motor speedway since 1997. Um, it's and it's obviously I mean that's a that's a world class national facility and you know I get up there two or three times a year for events and and it's just a different world it's a it's a different coverage weekend but you know still all the same you just try to provide the best coverage of everything that's going on and obviously the modified tour when they show up there that's kind of my focus but I cover everything that goes on up there too. Yeah, um, definitely. That's something that I have to get involved in myself i'm i go up there mostly for the nascar weekends and mostly just for the big boys on sunday but i think i have to get involved in some of the saturday races too because it seems like i'm missing out on some of the um xfinity and some of the um other like the wheel and modified stuff that comes up to new hampshire that um i don't get to see and um that's something that i definitely want to check into but um, New Hampshire next year is losing one of their races in September to Las Vegas. So um just wondering, what is the economic downturn of losing a race to another track, whether it be New Hampshire to Las Vegas or even, um, you know, attendance in one of the three short tracks in Connecticut? What's, a, what's the economic downturn to losing one of those races? I, I think overall... Um, obviously it's, there's no denying it's, it's not a good thing for New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, there's nothing good about it. There's nothing good about losing a race weekend. That said, in the, in the grand scheme of things and, and how things play out, it, it will be interesting to see overall how everything plays out. Um, and, and before I kind of analyze New Hampshire Motor Speedway, first look at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and what they're doing there, um, this is a track that has been holding one of one cup event for many years and has struggled with their attendance at times with that one single event. And now they're going to bring in a second event. I understand the economics of why they're bringing in that second event because they're getting a huge amount of money from the city of Las Vegas to do it. And like we've seen in any number of other sports where teams move from one city to another because of incentives that come not from there's not to say, Hey, we're going to sell out every night, but someone offers you a big chunk of money. And that's what we're seeing in Las Vegas. What will be interesting to see is that we saw the factor where, you know, California speedway struggled with attendance. They added a second event. The attendance dried up. Essentially they took away an event and suddenly the attendance at that single event skyrocketed. So yeah, in the, in the scheme of how it'll be interesting to see how the attendance now percolates at the two events at Las Vegas. But more interesting to me is to see how this affects New Hampshire motor speedway, because what we've seen as attendance has dropped at cup events over the last five to six years, New Hampshire motor speedway almost seemed like they were staving it off better than it, a lot of people in the industry. And the, the numbers were going down like all the places, but they weren't drastically dropping as quickly as so many other places. And then suddenly it seemed like the last two years, that July event up there just kind of fell off a cliff. Um, last right. year, July up there was the, the attendance was like nothing I had ever seen before. I was shocked at how few people were there. 
But at the same right. time, you have a September event that's essentially a playoff event. So I think a lot of people were saying, well, if I'm going to choose one, I'm going to go in September. And I think the economy factor of a lot of things is that maybe a lot of people that used to go to two events are now cutting back and saying, I have to choose one. And are, right. are you going to choose July when it's possibly 95 degrees on a Sunday? Or are you going to choose September when it's probably going to be 72 degrees and it's a playoff event? It's a chase event. So, you know, it's, right. going, it's going to be interesting to see now how New England fans, New England racing fans react to losing an event. Are they going to react positively and say, okay, well, now we're going to throw our support wholeheartedly to that event? Or is that event that has struggled the past couple of years, is it going to continue to struggle? I tend to think that they're going to get a huge crowd in July next year. I think the fans are going to react to it. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a good thing. And you asked about how it affects the short tracks. I think in the grand scheme of things, all the tracks in New England, they, you know, hey, everybody wants a healthy racing product everywhere because it, it helps everybody. But I think right. in some ways, I think the short tracks in New England are, are maybe they, they might be smiling a little bit that they're, they're, that that New Hampshire September event is going to go away because, hey, the reality is a lot of their fans on those weekends go to New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So, um, right. you know, the Connecticut tracks, uh, you know, Stafford Motor Speedway typically is done with their Friday nights when that September weekend comes up. And it will be interesting to see next year if they extend their season one more weekend because New Hampshire is not running that weekend. And, uh, right, you know, they would uh, offer those fans a chance to go see some short track racing when they would have normally seen a uh, mile and a half track. So, Exactly, exactly. So it, it's, you know, I don't think, you know, it's not the end of the world for New Hampshire Motor Speedway. There are plenty of tracks out there. There are plenty of nationally level tracks out there that um, survive on one cup date a year. And at the same time, you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, there, there's people that don't look at the grand scheme of New Hampshire Motor Speedway and they say, oh, my God, they lost one of their two events. They're going to go out of business. And most people don't realize that essentially from April to October, there are things going on at that track every day. You know, it's just right. you know, we see the, the NASCAR weekends and they're huge. And obviously they're, they bring in huge dollars, but you know, that track lives and dies on, you know, what's going on there on a Wednesday afternoon in June. So, right. uh, and that's right. going to continue. And that's not something they're struggling with at all. So, you know, no. it was no. interesting to hear they're, David McGrath. What's that? Christmas event uh, alone, uh, a gift of lights has raised so much money for Speedway Children's yep. Charities. It's not yep. funny. And it's just, that's that's something that they're going to continue to do even if they lose the September race. So, yeah, and I think you know David McGrath, their general manager, he's obviously I know he's upset about losing this event, but I think he's already working to figure out. Hey, maybe we have to think outside the box now, and and what that means right now, I don't think we all really can figure it out. Could it mean um, trying to make a play again for the IndyCar series, that could be a possibility. Yeah. I think right. I think he's looking at some sort of grand short track regional division weekend. Uh, I think that could work if you really it, – it, it could be hard to make it work, but I think you can make it work. But, 
you know, they, they have plenty of options, and I hope that they find a motorsports entity to continue to have a second anchor weekend for a fan event up there, and I, I think they will. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the few minutes that we have left on the show, we've got about five minutes left. I want you to talk, talk about the kickoff party you guys are having on March 19th at the Hidden Still in Ellington, Connecticut. Yeah, you know, it's uh, this is the third year we've had the party, and it's essentially it's just a uh, it's just a way it's just kind of a way to hey get racing fans together before the season starts. Um, you know, we get some races on the big screens. The Hidden Still has uh, been one of my marketing partners since the first year, second year of the website. Um, Max Collins, who has owned it up until just recently, is uh, is very involved in short track racing. He actually races himself on Monday nights in the kart series at Stafford Motor Speedway. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a way to get a big crowd at, at the Hidden Still on a Sunday right before racing season, and everybody can kind of talk about racing and get back together with their racing friends. And, and we have a blast with it. Last year, um, you know, last year we, we set the time as a 1 o'clock start, and people started showing up at noon, and at 1 o'clock, literally the, the whole place was filled up. We had more than 100 people in there. So um, this year we're starting at 3 o'clock because the the race at Phoenix is, you know, the last couple of years we we coincided with the race at Martinsville, so we kind of had a 1 o'clock start on that. So this year we're doing right. it a little later with the race coming on at Phoenix later, but um, I know there's there's a lot of excitement out there for it, and you know we give away some great ticket packages that are all donated by the racetracks. You know we have a two seater ride along from Stafford Motor Speedway that we're giving away some yeah. tickets to the Wayland Modified Tour events at Thompson this year, tickets to the Saturday show at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, uh, a couple family package tickets for the New London Waterford Speed Bowl, and actually we're giving away a couple gift certificates to rent a race car which allows people to actually drive race cars at Stafford Motor Speedway. Yeah, that's kind of like the uh that's kind of like the um the pace car rides or the ride-alongs that they offer at other tracks as well too. And you guys are giving away uh some pretty neat keychains uh with uh bottle openers attached to them. Yep, yep, every year For we, kinda, we also Yeah, every year we kind of um come up with a, a little item for the party, uh, a unique giveaway. The first year we gave away um, can koozies. Last year it was uh, race day CT cinch sacks, and this year it's a little keychain can opener. So just a little something to kind of give to people. And, you know, it's a marketing thing. But, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't make any money off of it. It costs me money to do it, but it's a, it's a goodwill gesture, and I enjoy doing it for race fans. Definitely. Well, um, Sean, I appreciate you being on Off the Beaten Track, and um, we'll look forward to um, seeing you guys up in uh, Connecticut um, for the kickoff party. Um, I hope to get up to Connecticut to see one of the short tracks myself this year, um, and as well as going to the July race in in New Hampshire. But, um, yeah, it definitely looks like a good racing season this year, and um, we'll see what happens for some of the short track players. I appreciate it, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, have a good night. You too. Thank you. Bye. This has been Off the Beaten Track, a podcast on Blog Talk Radio. To have your track, team, or racing event on our show, 
just email otbtpodcast at gmail.com. That's otbtpodcast at gmail.com. Or check us out on Facebook at Off the Beaten Track. Thanks for listening.